I've been trying to get you to watch Nacho Libre for a long time. Finally got somebody to watch it. Some of you are saying, what is going on there? So the message title today is Take It Easy. And uh, any National Libre fans here today? Just a few of you guys. The rest of you are just going, what was that? <laughs> what was it? Um, you've got to watch the movie, and you've got to watch it a few times to actually appreciate the humor. But I did hear some laughing. So next time I, I give a Nacho Libre line out, at least we'll have a few more people laughing at it. But it's an it's a absolute legend movie. But I had to th- show it as the preaching intro because um, it mentioned this, the, the title of my message today, which is Take It Easy. And I even got a cap that says Easy As On Today, um, which will help as a visual remember what the message is about. But just before we get into the message today, again, uh, apologize for all the technical problems. Uh, we've got some load shedding issues. I don't even know if the guys on the stream can hear us. Hopefully they can. And, but I must admit, when I was standing there worshiping and then the sound was cutting out on the last song and you see the devil having a good go trying to distract his people about the goodness of God, I think of people that are meeting under a tree today in the middle of the kind of African bush. And it helps give us a perspective. I think the fact that we live in, uh, in an age where there's just so much technology that we rely on, I think it's both a blessing and a curse. What do you think? Maybe, maybe someday we should just kind of all gather here and not have any electricity and just kind of, I don't know, sing around in a circle or something. Because <laughs> I think uh, sometimes these things can be a distraction. At the same time, there's people at home that are watching this now and you are being able to hear me, even those old people in the back with hearing aids. You see, you can hear me now because I've got a microphone. Um, anyway, it's so good to have you in church uh, today. So the message is take it easy. And obviously, I'm not referring to taking the easy road. But when it comes to our frustration and our stress and our anger and tempers and how we end up treating other people in those tense moments, and we end up doing damage, and then someone has to clean up our mess. And I'm going to dive right into the scripture that I've kind of... Uh, it's such an intriguing story, and as I said in the beginning, I've never preached on it before, and I don't know if I've ever heard anyone else uh, preach on it, but let's turn to Luke 22, verse 49 to 51. If you have got your Bibles or your um, version Bible app, you can open it up there, Luke 22, 49 to 51. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and um, just basically give you context of the story. This is the last night uh, before Jesus was uh, well, it's just before Jesus was arrested, so he's just had the Last Supper. He's, he, he's mentioned that Judas or someone will betray him, and he's in the garden, and he's told his buddies, his disciples, to, to keep watch and to pray for him, because you can imagine the stress and the trauma that he's going through knowing what's going to happen, and he comes back and he sees his disciples sleeping like three times. It's like, shot, guys, thank you so much. I appreciate it, and uh, this is the moment where he gets arrested. Okay. So it says here in Luke, when the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We bought swords. And one of them struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. Hence the uh, violent introduction that we just had to get us into this understanding. But Jesus says no more of this, and he touched the man's ear and healed him. Now what's interesting, I did a lot of study around this particular story and obviously you got the the accounts of Jesus life in Matthew Mark Luke and John the four gospels right and each one of them the writers kind of tell the story in a little bit of a different way or they some leave out certain elements of of the story it's kind of like if I go to a wedding and I take in because I marry a lot of couples and I take in a few things and I get home and I 
my wife asks me, what did, uh, what did the bride wear? So I was like, she wore a white dress. She was, yeah, but what did it look like? I'm like, I don't know, it was white. Like, you know, we women would maybe look at different details when it comes to dresses. And it's the same as with the Gospels. You see different details that it doesn't mean that they're not accurate. It's just some are left out, some are put in. Does that make sense? And what's interesting is it's only Luke that mentions the healing of this guy's ear. And he doesn't even mention his name. So you can see what was important to Luke. He doesn't mention the high priest uh, or the slave of the high priest, uh, his name. But if you look in John 18, which is the same account, it says here, first of all, that Simon Peter, in the other accounts, it doesn't actually mention which disciple cut off this guy's ear. But in, in, in John, it says, then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off his right ear. They both at least got that detail there. And he slashed off the ear of Malchus. So that was his name, the high priest slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So he doesn't mention the actual healing. But I just think it's quite an amusing scene. Like I felt Nacho Libre was pretty amusing. Maybe some of you didn't. But maybe some of you don't think it's amusing to get someone's ear cut off. But just let's picture the scene there. This guy's ear's just been cut off, okay? There's like a bit of a commotion. Was Peter really bad, like with a sword? Or, or, or was, was, was Malchus just really good at ducking? I don't know. But like he only managed to get his ear cut off. Was it half cut off? Was it fully cut off? Was it lying on the ground? Did Jesus you know, look for an ear, I don't know, you know, just pick up like an ear and then like heal it, or, or did he just put his hand over where the ear was cut and then it grew, I, I don't know, if, if, leaves a bit of uh, kind of poetic license for us to try and figure out exactly what happened, but it's a fascinating story, uh, and, and just, it's amazing actually, this guy's ear, his right ear gets cut off, so potentially actually they say he would have come, if he was right-handed, come from behind the guy, and I don't know if he was trying to take the guy out or just I don't know, teach him a lesson and cut off his ear. I, I don't know what exactly what it looked like, what happened. But it, it must have been quite a surreal experience to be in that moment. But the healing is so powerful. Like he just puts his hand there and heals the guy's ear. Then in reading the story, I started to think about a few things around this whole story. Why did Jesus heal the guy's ear? And Peter was trying to protect Jesus. Are you with me? He was trying to help Jesus not be arrested, but then Jesus says, you know, stop. You, you're basically stopping the will of the Father, which is me to go through and drink this cup, is the imagery he uses, uh, of, you know, crucifixion. And then he has to heal the guy's ear. He could have just left the guy's ear because this was the guy that was arresting him, the guy that was literally wrongfully arresting him. Like, I don't know, maybe there's a sense of, in, in, in all of us, we'd think like, yeah, oh, serves him right, you know? Got his ear cut off. But then I read a blog recently by a friend of mine, Alan Frau. He's a, he's a he was, when I say was, he, he was a, he's South African, but he's now living in America. He pastors a church there. And it was really fascinating. It brought out something in the story that uh, just is incredible. So I want to read just the first few lines of, of this blog. And he says this, whatever the case... While Peter's intentions may have been noble in protecting Jesus, his approach was as poor as his aim. He was tone deaf as to what Jesus actually needed him to do. Jesus did not need a militant bodyguard at this time. He needed Peter to be a resilient disciple who would support him in his resolve to drink the cup the Father had given him and follow him in the way of the cross. 
to basically support Jesus in and through the trauma, like the trauma that he was about to go through for us. Instead, Jesus had to clean up Peter's militant mess. Isn't that powerful? I was reading some commentaries, uh, the Enduring Word Commentary, great app, by the way, if any of you guys enjoy scriptural understanding it. Um, it says, even here, Jesus was present to clean up the mess his disciples left behind. Because he always did that. He healed the damage done by Peter. And what's amazing as well, uh, someone, uh, I read a commentary somewhere else, is that the last thing Jesus did with his hands before they were bound and he died for you and I, is he healed. And he touched and he used his hands. That's what he came to this earth for, was to heal, to love with his hands. And that was the last thing he did before his hands were bound. But I've got a couple questions for us today that maybe perhaps we could make it applicable to us for today. Is there a connection between Peter's militancy and his sleepiness a little earlier? You see, in John 22, 46, well, sorry, Luke 22, because they're, they're different accounts, Jesus, when he had gone out to spend some time with God, just wrestling with what he had to go through, he comes back and in verse 46 says, why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not give into temptation. Is there a connection between the militancy, the, right, the self-righteousness militancy, even do, trying to do the right thing, and his sleepiness a little earlier? Not coming out of a place of having spent time with Jesus. And there's the stark contrast between Peter's spiritual passivity and his inappropriate militancy in, in the garden. It's, it's a stark contrast. Are you with me? He's done exactly what Jesus had warned him about, which was not to, you know, to temptation. He has fallen into temptation and acted rashly in the flesh because of his prayerlessness. I think Peter must have been so disappointed as well at the fact that Jesus healed the ear. Because like he was like, I'm doing the right thing. I'm protecting you, Jesus. He cuts the guy's ear off. And Jesus goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Picks up the ear, whatever it is, and, and, and heals the guy's ear. He must have been dis disappointed. Because after all, he was, what was he trying to do? He was just trying to serve Jesus. Now, isn't that potentially the problem in the church? In many ways. How often do things go wrong and then we wonder why. How often do things go wrong and we suddenly go, oh, I haven't been spending time with Jesus. Another question to ask you today. Is there a parallel between Peter's inappropriate militancy and what we see in the church? Is there something working together here? Because you often see like this self-righteous fight that Christians have. But sometimes it may be inappropriate. I know I often see it. We've often done it. And what I want to talk about today is how often our poor or bad behavior, when it comes to our frustration and our anger, we end up hurting and damaging people without realizing it sometimes. And Jesus has to clean up our mess. You see, we like the messages where Jesus cleans up our mess of our uh, sin. Like, you know, oh, we, we love that. You know, the grace message, which is, I think we preach here all the time, which is important. But what about our self-righteous mess? Do you remember the prodigal God series? 
where I spoke about the younger son and the older brother and how they both were estranged from the father. They both needed God. And often we see this in the Bible where there's something that we're often missing. We, 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 we attach ourselves to often the messages that kind of we relate to a lot more. And often we don't see the self-righteousness in us. We talk about blind spots often. We talk about pride where it's so hard to see. But someone has to clean up that mess. Maybe it's something we say or something we've done and Jesus has to fix it and bring healing. And sometimes only years later, there may be a damaging comment or, or something we did to someone that we don't understand or even realize or know. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where someone has said to you, do you know that like I used to have something against you? Have you ever had that before? And I was like, what? You know? Well, when you did this or when you said that, I'm like, really? I didn't even realize. I'm so sorry. It wasn't my intention. Anyone ever had that before? And I can't tell you, church, how many people that I speak to that are either hurt, disillusioned, or damaged because of Christians, because of the church. Maybe even you here today and you're new to church, you're like, yeah, I'm giving it another go because there was this church that I really got hurt by. And maybe even listening to this today somehow on, on a stream and you're wondering, like, what went wrong? Can I just say, first of all, that we should never judge Christianity on Christians, that we should judge it on Jesus. We should look at Jesus' response because even Peter, who, who went on to do so many good things and, and spend time with Jesus, even he got it wrong. Again, an enduring word commentary says this, when the church takes the sword in hand, it usually shows that it does not know how to wield it, does not know how to use it, and as often as not has struck the wrong man. And I'm passionate about this because, and so much so that's why I do what I do today, because I've seen how the church has been so damaging to so many people. I meet so many people that are too terrified to even step in here. People that have the mindset, no, if they come here, lightning will strike them. Honestly, they're people that believe that. Or there was this Christian who said that. Or, you know, no, I, because, because of this person hurt me when they did that. Or this church, or this, it's, it's just, I hear it all the time. And I find that incredibly sad. I know it's quiet in here today because it's, kind of a, a pretty intense message. And I want you to hear the message for yourself today. Don't always, you know, often we, we hear messages like this and we, and we start to think of people. Like, oh yes, there was this person that said this. I want you to take it for yourself today. Start to self-reflect and think about perhaps how many times, maybe without even realizing it, where you've been like Peter. Maybe you're not like this raging kind of angry, angry person and cutting off people's ears, but there are times where perhaps your frustration, your anger has come out and you've ended up hurting your spouse, your kids, your work employees. Because I think whenever I'm looking at Scripture, I'm looking at myself and saying, well, God, you know, is there anything in me? The, the Psalms speak about search my heart, God. Is there anything in me that, that is not of you? And I want to read just uh, a little bit more on that blog that I read. It's just so powerful. He, uh, this is Alan saying this. He says, I have found that by and large, the most casually militant Christians tend to be the most spiritually passive. They tend to be immature, lacking in spiritual disciplines like prayer, reading the Bible, and fellowship. 
Carl spoke to us so powerfully last week, and he spoke about how we need to know what is written. Because Jesus, that's how he counted temptation. It is written, and Jesus knew the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God. They are generally poor at receiving counsel from leaders or mature disciples in the church. They are hard to mobilize to service and mission. Yet suddenly, from this place of spiritual passivity, they are awakened, swashbuckling militancy in the name of Christ. They think they are serving Jesus, but it actually results in a bloody mess that Jesus has to clean up. The cause differs. Some get militant about masks. I know in his American context right now. Others about no masks. Some get, some get militant about their chosen political party. Others get militant about their chosen conspiracy theory. Some get militant about getting the vaccine. Others get militant about not getting the vaccine. But almost without fail, so this is not everybody, but almost without fail, the most militant people I know around these causes are some of the most spiritually passive. Their militancy is not a calling birthed out of prayer. It is a temptation birthed out of prayerlessness, as we see in the garden. It is a militancy marked by outrage and unreasonableness. Like Peter, their militancy may mean they are just steps away from a complete denial of Jesus. Pretty firm words. I didn't say it. Alan did, okay. <laughs> but Peter went on to deny Jesus three times. And it doesn't mean church, because I know some of you may be saying, well, can we not have strong convictions? You can, certainly. However, unless our just causes are birthed out of prayer with other, people, other disciples within a church context, we will get into flesh and strike Malchus's ear again. There are many amazing causes that we've seen through the history of the church. You think about William Wilberforce and his fight to abolish slavery. Uh, Dietrich uh, Bonhoeffer, I think that's how you say his name, and his fight against Nazi Germany. You look at Martin Luther King and his fight to end racial discriminations. They all had a different and just causes. However, all their movements had one thing in common. They were birthed and sustained in prayer amidst authentic Christian community. They were out of prayer and within the context of community, Christian community. Now, I suppose kind of that is the introduction. There's two roads to go down. You know, one would be, so how do we deal with our frustration, stress, anger, tense conversations and all these moments? How do we deal with them in the right way and avoid situations like we just read? And that's the road I'm going to go down today. Um, but maybe there's another message at another time is how do we avoid this entirely and just spend some more time praying and more time with Jesus? Because I can tell sometimes just in pastoring where you are trying to help someone and you sense the frustration, you sense just all the stuff that's going on. And often the question I ask is, are you spending time with Jesus? Because it's amazing how when you just do that, it, it alleviates a whole, it doesn't mean all our problems go away, but it just helps us deal with the problems. Are you with me? It's very quiet in here today. So let's just quickly look at, well, how do we deal with our frustration when we are legitimately frustrated about something? How do we make it not go off kind of in a bad direction? You've all been in those conversations where, like, it suddenly turns, <laughs> And there's like no going back, okay? First things first, Ephesians 4.26 says, And don't sin by letting your anger control you. 
Some versions say, in your anger, do not sin. And then it goes on to say, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And you can see why those conversations or those moments take a turn for the worse, because we give the devil a foothold. And we are often fighting, well, we're always fighting a spiritual battle. And the devil doesn't like us, and he wants to disrupt us. And this is not going to be a long message at all today. I, I want to look at one story of how Jesus dealt with it. And this particular story is five days before Jesus dies. So you can know that he's just a bit on a mission to set something straight before he kind of goes and, uh, you know, off to his father. And he wants to deal with some stuff. So it's, it's just after Passover. It's a very festive time in the city. And we see a scenario that maybe you've heard before about when Jesus goes and he turns the tables over in the temple. So let's look at that quickly today. Matthew 21, 12. It'll be up on the screen. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. I'll explain that in a moment. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Just to set some things quickly straight, Jesus wasn't known as the guy that would always just turn over tables and, you know, be angry. He was actually known more for his love, so this was uncharacteristic of, of Jesus. And, and he didn't have an issue in this area, like turning tables over. He always did that. He didn't often do it. So don't go home and go, well, Jesus turned over tables. That's what I'm going to start doing. Woof, you know, okay. You'll see why he did it, okay. So how did Jesus deal with the legitimate issue where it needed to be confronted. And I think it'll be helpful for us today. Just three quick things. Notice Jesus wasn't angry about what others did to him. And point one is Jesus was angry on behalf of those who were mistreated. You see, the temple became a place that was dishonoring of his father because that was a place of worship. And how they mistreated people. I said I would come back to this. The money changes were kind of like foreign exchange. We hate those people, right? You know when you give them like 100 rand and they meant to give you $15? How many dollars did they give you? 12. It's like, what happened to the other three, bro? No, he kept that. You know what I mean? Have you anyone changed money before? Okay. They rip you off. Okay, I know someone's got to make money somewhere. But these money changes were doing that in the temple. But more importantly, at the time of the festival, people, so foreigners and even people that necessarily couldn't... Um, uh, well, didn't buy their sacrifices before. They would come into the temple and they would buy a dove, which on the outside would only cost five pence. On the inside, it would cost, guess how much? 75. It was like more than, it was like 15 times more. I mean, can you imagine that? Anyone been to America before? Rate is 15 to one at the moment. So, so when, when something's one dollar, for them, it's like cheap, you know, an ice cream, $1. For you, it's 15 rand. Well, it's not quite that cheap, okay? It's a lot more than that, okay? And you can imagine Jesus' frustration here because he's like, you're just ripping off the, the, the people that need to be in here to find God and to find healing, and you're just ripping them off. Jesus was angry on their behalf because they were mistreated. And I think sometimes we need to do a little bit of an anger audit in our own lives. What are we actually angry at? How often do we get angry because of something done to us personally? How about start it, starting to just shift that a little bit and start to look at people around us 
that are being mistreated, and that should cause a bit of a, uh, not a self-righteous anger, but a righteous anger. And, and to start to fight for causes that are actually more important than just because you were offended or hurt about something. And I'm not saying, you know, we don't get offended or hurt. You know, someone says something, I get that. But so often we dwell on that and we, 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 it ends up just destroying us and disrupting what God has actually called us to do. There's so many things that we can look at the world that we need to rather get angry about. Jesus did that. He was angry on the behalf of other people. There's people that need to find healing. People that need to find forgiveness. Let's stop focusing on what someone said or someone did to us. Number two, when Jesus got angry, he flipped tables. He didn't flip people. You see, the table represented the system that supported hypocrisy and the mistreatment of people. And when he turned the table, he disrupted that system that perpetrated injustice. Let's start to flip those tables in society as opposed to taking it out on people. And guys, this message is so important because I'm seeing it more and more on social media platforms. People having a go at each other as opposed to the problem. It's the same as within marriage. I've always said, take the issue, put it to the side, stand together and say, okay, how do we deal with that? There is an issue, how do we deal with it? As opposed to put the issue between the two of you, go at the issue, and then in turn you go at each other. Jesus got angry, but he flipped tables, not people. He didn't punch, he didn't swear. Anyone watched the boxing match this morning, Tyson Fury and Wilder? No? Some of you did. Listen to this now. When we feel strongly about something, it's so easy to translate our perspective to a righteous posture. Just because we feel strongly about something doesn't mean we're right. And it doesn't mean we should also just start flipping tables. You, So many people, I think, in their effort to be right, have forgotten to be loving. I'm going to say that again. So many people, in their effort to be right have forgotten to be loving. Any amens out there today? Let's make sure we don't let our unrighteous anger justify unloving behavior. How we treat one another is everything. I mean, we're Christians. We should be loving. God has loved us that we should in turn be loving other people. Our goal isn't to be right, actually. It's to be loving. So Jesus didn't flip people. He flipped tables. And lastly, when Jesus got angry, what did he do? He ended up loving and healing those that were hurting. I don't know if you noticed that. In verse 14, after flipping the tables, what did it say? The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. That's what he actually came there for. He didn't come there just to get all angry and flip tables, create a mess, and then leave. He actually came to clean up the mess. And to do what the Father had called him to do five days before he died. And he came to bring healing to hurt and broken people. That's what we are on this earth for people. And so often we get all self-righteous, all frustrated, all angry, even about just causes. And we end up hurting people as opposed to healing people. God has called his church to love You see, he didn't shout in that moment. He didn't make a critical post. He didn't leave the church or even leave the temple. He stayed and he loved and he healed. And kind of coming to a close, think about this story in the context of today's culture. 
He didn't start a campaign saying, cancel money changes. There's a huge culture at the moment called the cancel culture. I know maybe some of the bullies aren't maybe completely aware of this. I know the young people are. Maybe you're a bully and you're young at heart and you'll know what I'm talking about. But there's this massive cancel culture that is going on at the moment, particularly among celebrities, athletes, politicians, pastors, uh, companies, businesses. You say one thing wrong and they will discount everything good that you've ever done or said. Now, I'm not saying people shouldn't be accountable for things that they've done wrong. Okay? You hear the case of R. Kelly, the famous singer, I believe I can fly. He's going to jail because he was involved in a whole uh, sex trafficking uh, thing. And I, I mean, rightly so. I'm just going to pray for him. But this whole cancel culture thing is, is crazy. He didn't start canceling money changes, posting hashtags. They kept the change. Think about Jesus. Who hurt and mistreated him most? It was the Pharisees. Think about Pontius Pilate, Herod, Judas, and even Peter. He tried to protect him, ended up denying him. Jesus didn't cancel any of them. The Pharisees were wrong. Pilate was wrong. Herod was wrong. Judas was wrong. Peter was wrong. They were actually wrong. And just because you're wrong doesn't mean you need to be canceled because we believe in a different message. We believe in one of grace. And I'm so thankful that Jesus canceled my sin and he didn't cancel me. Listen to Colossians 2.13. It says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The person who should be canceled is the devil. Let's fight for the right things while still loving people. Church, we're living in such a divided world right now, and I think this message is so important for us to catch and to understand, and I hope it's even come out right today. But we live in such a divided world, and we need a unified church. Really, we do. We need Christians to come together, to work together, to love people together, not out of self-righteousness from a higher moral standard or ground, but understand that we all theoretically should have been canceled, but because of Jesus and his grace, he rather canceled our sin and not us. I'm so relieved about that because I know just as well as you do, we've all done stuff that is wrong. Some of you are sitting here today and you're like, Hilton, if you only knew what I've done, what I've said, what I've thought, I'm ashamed to even sit here today if someone knew. And I'm so grateful that we have a God that just loves us and embraces us and heals us. He sticks around for that. He doesn't just flip the tables. He wants to challenge our mindsets, but he's there to love us and to heal us. And we need to come together on issues. Let's, let's when we want to find some just causes to fight for, let's fight for them together. Let's stop kind of going at each other and flipping people as opposed to tables. And as we land this today, if you're here today and you're saying, man, like I'm just, that is just speaking to me. I think we just need to take a moment just to make right with God today. 
Say, sometimes I've been like Peter and I've said something a little harshly. I've tried to kind of fight this cause and sometimes it may have come out wrong and I'm hurting people, damaging people. Maybe even ask God to highlight moments and situations for you as we close in prayer and ask God to forgive you. Maybe you even want to give that person a call or catch up with that person and just take responsibility and apologize. So we'll spend a moment doing that. And then maybe even you here today and you're going, you know what? I'm just so relieved that God didn't cancel me. And all the stuff that I've done wrong in my life, thank you, God, that you canceled my sin and not me. And we're going to take a moment just to pray into that as well. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Um, This is fascinating. Even the smallest of stories, the crazy stories, where people's ears get cut off, there is a message and there is something that you are wanting to say to your people. There's so many hidden truths, God, that we will be pulling out forever. And God, I pray just the heart of the message today uh, would just speak to your people, your church. I pray, God, that our hearts will be humbled and uh, just open to what you're wanting to say to us. And Lord, we just want to say sorry for the times where we felt like we were doing the right thing, but we were actually doing the wrong thing because of the way that we were doing it. And maybe God will highlight a scenario to you, a story to you, a moment to you, something you said, something you did, something you posted. God, would you forgive us for that? Lord, would you bring healing in and through that friendship, that relationship. There'd be a growth opportunity for all involved. Thank you, God, that your heart for us is always to bring healing, that you stuck around after flipping the tables. And even today, as you flip some of our mindsets, flip some of our hearts, thank you that you're sticking around so that we can grow, learn from these things so that we can truly be people here on this earth as opposed to just being right, that we would be loving, that we would love people, we would be kind, we would be understanding, we would be compassionate, we would have grace. Fill us with all of that goodness today, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. We think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We need more of that today, God. And I pray right now, in the name of Jesus, that your spirit would just fall on people and people would receive that today. Right now, in Jesus' name, people receive your grace, people receive your healing. Sense your spirit in this place today. I don't want you to feel bad about something you did or said. That's the devil. He comes to make us feel bad. I don't want you to feel condemned, but you certainly can feel convicted. And when you take responsibility and go, you know what? I'm going to make right. That's a powerful thing. That, 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 that's awesome. That speaks of new beginnings. It speaks of hope. Don't get stuck in a hole today if this message has challenged you. Make a change today. So, Father, I pray that you would equip us with the grace and the strength and the power to be who you've called us to be, God. 
and that is to be loving here on this earth. Help us, God, deal with our daily frustrations, our anger, our, the little issues that we have, the tussles we have with those around us. Help us, God. We want to be more like you, Jesus. And I want to pray a prayer for anyone here today that is just grateful that God has canceled their sin and not you, because you need to know that today. If you've come in here today carrying a whole lot and you feel heavy, you feel guilty, you feel shame, God didn't cancel you. He canceled your sin when he died on the cross for us. That's why he came to this earth. And that's why he had to go through with what Peter was trying to stop him for. He died for every single one of us. So if you're here today and you say, man, I, I want to pray that prayer saying, God, thank you for forgiving me. I want, to, I want to walk with you. And you've never prayed a prayer like that before. I want to give you an opportunity to pray that prayer. But just so I know who I'm praying with, if there is anyone, would you mind slipping up your hand? Is there anyone who wants to pray that prayer? Never prayed it before. Anyone? Saying, God, I, I thank you for dying for me. Thank you for canceling my sin. Anyone? I can't see any hands up in the auditorium here today. Maybe you're online. Oh, there is a hand at the back. That's amazing. Maybe you're online and you want to pray this prayer for real. And you're saying, God, I need you. Let's pray it all together, every one of us, nice and loud. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you didn't cancel me, but you canceled my sin. I'm so grateful. Thank you for dying on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. From today, Lord, I ask you into my life. Change me. Make me into the person that you want me to be. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. I want to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Thank you for opening up your heart to that. We get, we're going to go out with a song. Um, it's such a good, such a good word, Hilt. And, and sometimes...